Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I have such a wonderful privilege to be here with AJ Craybill, who serves as the conservator at DeSoto Independent School District, where during his guidance, DeSoto improved from an F rating in academics, finance, and governance to B ratings, and as governance director at Council of the Great City School. He also served as deputy commissioner at Texas Education Agency and board chair at Kansas City Public Schools. He authored a chapter on school board leadership to improve student outcomes in the book On Leadership and Interdisciplinary Approach, edited by Denver Fowler and Megan Rail. And his book, Great on Their Behalf by School Boards Fail, How Yours Can Become More Effective, was just recently released. AJ believes that student outcomes don't change until behavior change. AJ affirms changing adult behaviors requires new mindsets, new knowledge, and or new skills. His intention is to transform student outcomes through the transformation of adult mindsets, knowledge, and skills, starting with his own. Well, welcome, AJ. So excited to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Keith. Well, you talk a lot about in your blog and you're writing about school boards. So in your mind, what makes up an amazing school board? The place I'd start is with the, the role of the school board, which is to represent the vision and the values of the community. So what you really want is you want as diverse a group as is necessary to capture the full spectrum of perspectives and worldviews that are present in a community. So in a smaller community that's a little bit more homogenous, it's an easier task. But in larger communities that just have folks from all over the place, you know, in your large cities and things of that nature, it gets to be pretty complicated. The thing that I think a lot of people mistake is they think that a school board needs to be a bunch of educators or a bunch of people from professional careers and things of that nature, because I think often folks think that the school board is going to get in there and actually run the school on a day-to-day basis, but that's actually not the job. That's the job of the superintendent and the staff. You have professional educators who that is what they do, but the job of the board is actually very different than that. It's, it's not to implement the vision and values of the community. It's just to represent the vision and values of the community. So you need folks who are willing to roll up their sleeves, go out and do a lot of listening in the community, get a sense of what's on people's heart for their children to know and be able to do, what are the core values that have to be honored, and are willing to, after doing all the work of listening to that, to write that down. In fact, when we think of district policy, really all that is, is the vision and values of the community committed to paper, written down and made plain, and then handed to the staff and say, this is what this community believes in. Make sure you go out and get these things done on behalf of our families and our students. And so anybody who's willing to do that, those are the people who are the right folks to serve on a school board. That's so interesting. I never thought about the role of a school board as representing and developing the values of a community and thinking about that. Now, even in a homogenous, smaller community, I would imagine you would find people who are on the school board where it's difficult for them to look outside their themselves and think about the morals or the values of the community outside their own little world or their own Mm -hmm. cultural systems, or even to recognize their own biases. So how do you, as a leader, or especially as a servant leader, because I think there's a really good tie into servant leadership if we're talking about representing the values of a whole community, how do you see this growing to represent people outside yourself in a small community and then moving to a larger community to represent that large group of people and their whole value system? Well, it's certainly a challenge. 
But it does require folks to often gain skills. Certainly when I joined my board, I had no idea what a school board actually did and was completely mistaken and misguided in what I thought the role of the school board would be. And so like a lot of folks with good intentions who just care about kids and want to make sure that our schools do right by them, I just had to learn. I had to set a lot of my preconceived notions about school boards down and and just do some plain good old-fashioned learning. I see that's the same journey that a lot of other school board members across the country you know, find ourselves on, is that we get there, we're not quite sure what the role is, and, and there's not always great training and great role modeling of what it looks like to represent the vision and values of the community. And so it comes uh, from practice and training of folks actually developing the skill set of what it is uh, to just listen with an open heart and open mind for you know, where folks are coming from, even if it's not your perspective or your background. But the moment that you take on the mantle of leadership, that you are uh, obligated uh, morally, legally, ethically to make sure that you are listening for the vision and values of everyone across the community, not just the folks who agree with you. And I generally think this is one of the areas where democracy actually works out in terms of screening for folks who seem to be aligned with the vision and values of folks. Like if you got two or three people to pick from, most of the time you don't really know what their credentials are that much. You may think you have an idea, people showed you their resume, but that doesn't really tell you as much as you often think it does. Um, you don't really know what their educational beliefs are. You may th- think you do, but they may think they do. And, and just like me, they may be completely off base on all of that. But what you can often pick up on is this person have a set of values that, that really aligns with my own? And is this person's vision for our children something that when they talk about what children should know and be able to do, are they saying the same type of things that I want for my children? So this is one of those areas where I think democracy tends to uh, get it right more often than get it wrong, of being able to sift for who is a more adequate match of the community's vision and values than others. I think the challenge isn't so much in the selection at that point. The challenge then is how to help board members actually be effective at doing the job once they get it. I like that. That's a good thought. And so you mentioned, similar to me, that at some point you realized that you didn't realize what a school board's primary function was. <laughs> yeah. and you, you woke up to this mission and I'm realizing that I need to wake up to this mission and I'm glad we're having this conversation so I can become more enlightened. And so what was it that helped you realize this vision for a school board and helped you move in this direction? You know, I hate to say it, but you know, the first thing that came to my mind when you asked that question was a memory of sitting in my car after a school board meeting. It was one of these horrible school board meetings that just went totally off the rails. It must have been closing in on 11, 12 o'clock at night. And we we're just now getting out of this board meeting. I had this recollection of nothing of substance for children happening, a whole lot of adults kind of posturing and grandstanding and bickering and us walking out of there without any clear sense of had we actually accomplished anything and wondering like, why why am I really even here? Like, this isn't what I thought I was signing up for. This isn't what I I ran, you know, to just kind of be miserable, sit in my car after board meetings in the middle of the night. And so like a coward, I decided I would just quit. (laughs) And so I went back to some of the people who worked on my campaign, uh, this group of uh, ladies who had volunteered, put a lot of time, a lot of energy. And, you know, I felt like I le- needed to let them know first. It's like, hey, you know, I can't do what I've come to do. And 
So I think I'm just going to have to get off this board because uh, this is just, I'm not making any difference. It's ain't the right thing for kids. It's not the right thing for me. Um, and they looked at me and said, yeah, that's not going to happen. We did not work this hard to get you elected for you to punk out and decide that you're just going to quit. So you need to come up with a plan B. That plan ain't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, thank God for the wisdom of elders um, who you know, pushed back and clarified that, you know, giving up and walking away was, was not a viable option. Um, and so plan B was figure out what really effective governance actually does look like and then put all my energy and figure out how to transition us in that direction. And that journey, uh, by the grace of God, put me on the path that leads me to visiting with you tonight. You know, I'm really excited about the direction this conversation is going. And I'm really, you know, I'm not excited that you had a massive failure, but I'm excited that you, you first recognized that you hit this wall and you you recognized it wasn't where you wanted to be. And, you know, you described it as a moment of cowardice, but I would say you met that cowardice with bravery because you then went to the people that elected you, that helped you. And you said, look, I'm not measuring up. I'm not doing what you wanted me to do. I'm not doing what you put me here to do. And I don't know if I'm the right person. And so I don't know if that's true cowardice. I think that's bravery because you admitted in that moment of weakness and that moment of distress that you might not be adequate and you asked them for assistance. And so I think oftentimes we we hit these walls and we think we're not measuring up, but I think in that moment, you showed extreme bravery, and I, I respect that. I think that's profound, and I think we can learn a lot by that. That's a, a true example of servant leadership that many of us, we can learn that failure is not as scary as it, we often think it needs to be. It teaches us. I appreciate that framing. You're right. I certainly hadn't thought of it that way. In that moment of frustration, I guess the really cowardly thing would be is just to ghost entirely, just disappear, um, as opposed to use this opportunity to just acknowledge, look, I'm not actually measuring up to the task. And I think the best solution is to exit, but to be engaged in a conversation around that rather than just to kind of slink away into the, <laughs> under the cover of darkness. Uh, so no, I appreciate that uh, framing. I'll certainly have to uh, reflect on that. Yeah. And then you were open to the guidance from these people that you trusted. Now, that may be overstating it. Uh, basically, they told me what to do and I did. <laughs> these are some scary, you know, some, you know, some scary uh, you know, older women in the community who were not known for not being obeyed. So I, I was just kind of doing what my elders told me to do. <laughs> well, sometimes it goes down to a good leader surrounds himself with good people. That's right. That's right. We'll set us up for success. So that, I think there's some truth to that, right? (laughs) So you've got to know who to surround yourself with. A good, especially a good servant leader will surround themselves. They they definitely set me straight and uh, God bless them. I'm I'm the better man for it. Excited for them. And and I'm excited for this book, for, for the lessons that you've learned subsequently to that, because, you know, if it wasn't for that moment, it wasn't for what came after that moment. You know, we wouldn't be hearing about these great lessons. That's right. That's right. So it's phenomenal. And I think, you know, we should celebrate that. And I think too often we stop, right? We stop and we're like, oh, these these amazing achievements have happened. But what was that moment in time where we kind of had a breakdown where we hit this wall and then we overcame? And I think many out there listening might be at that wall right now. They might be struggling and not feel like they're measuring up and 
there's a moment where you can overcome it. So find those people, find those scary ladies, those scary elders <laughs> in your community that are going to push you to be better than you think you are. Yeah, because no there's people in your, around you, there's people in your circle somewhere. They see yourself, they see you better than you see yourself. So find yeah. them and let them push you. Yeah. Amen. You're kind of getting this vision of the school board and how it can get better. So you learned, okay, I see a vision. I see where it doesn't work. What do you think makes a school board just become phenomenal? This idea that student outcomes don't change until adult behaviors change certainly requires a clear theory of action around what drives changes in adult behavior. And where my team and I have landed on this is that there are these three key drivers of adult behavior change, uh, knowledge, skill, and mindset. And that of the three, the most powerful, the longest lever for causing change in adult behaviors, mindset, that where knowledge is what I know, skill is what I can do with what I know. Mindset is how do I see the world? How, how are things that are occurring around me? How am I making meaning of those things? And inside of that meaning making, choosing behaviors that align with the view that I have of the world. And so if I have a view of the world that there's nothing I can do that I, you know, I, I should just give up and quit from the school board, then that leads to one set of adult behaviors. But when my mindset of the matter was forcibly adjusted <laughs> by a group of my elders, <laughs> uh, the, the new mindset that I was forced to take on is I have to find a solution. And so the difference in behavior was a difference in the shift of mindset. Like I, what I knew didn't really change in that moment. That's not what caused me to go in a different direction. The skills I had didn't change that in the moment. That's not what caused me to go in a different direction. The mindset shifted from I should pack up and leave to I must stand and fight, but I've just got to find a different way to do so. It was that shift in mindset brought on through the relationship with the folks in the community that I, I came to trust and rely on. It was them pushing on me, causing a moment of self-reflection, causing me to be introspective uh, and challenging me to find a new solution that instead the mindset, instead of you know hanging up and walk away, became I am committed to solving for the challenge that isn't the challenge I ran for. The challenge I ran for was how do we make stuff great for kids? The, the challenge that I found and they forced me to confront was how do we actually create a school system, that can, a school board that can create the context for improvements in student outcomes, which is just, it sounds like a small change, but it was actually a very different task than the one that I thought that I was signing up for. It was that shift in mindset that gave rise to the dramatic shift in, in my behavior in the months and years to follow. And so of the three, knowledge, skill, and mindset, all three are necessary drivers for adult behavior change. But by far, the most powerful of the three is mindset that, that as I, my way of viewing the world begins to shift, my behaviors will undergo significant shifts to become in alignment with that new way of viewing the world. In that moment, whatever knowledge and skills I have that have not been serving me well are now freed up to be powerful tools and service of the new the direction, the new set of behaviors that I'm adopting. And so this then becomes the driver for our work as coaches trying to support school boards across the nation is what is that critical pivot in mindset that will really free up boards to stand in their own greatness on behalf of the children they serve. One of the most powerful mindset pivots that we've identified is this transition from being adult inputs focused 
to being student outcomes focused. That is, is my mindset is my job as a board member is to manage all of the adult inputs, make sure that we buy just the right book and that we have just the right color of buses and that we have the right flavor of burritos and, you know, the right color of paint and that all of these adult inputs is why I'm here. I've got to make these critical decisions. And inside of that board members get super caught up on all these little details and, and there's so much bickering to be had because everybody then has their, their one little thing, their perspective on it. But as boards transition away from this obsession with adult inputs and instead say, you know what, what we're really here for is to improve student outcomes. And the first task is to figure out what is it we want, which student outcomes do we want to focus on? What, what are the things we want students to know and be able to do that we got to focus on? And then once we've identified the outcomes that we want, what are the outputs the, the measures in the middle of the process to let us know that we're getting closer to those outputs. And then, and only then, what are the inputs that lead to those outputs that ultimately lead to those outcomes? Uh, but essentially, we're looking at it from the opposite end of the telescope, you know, we're, and wondering why things aren't looking closer, things are actually looking farther away. That's the difference in the mindset shift, is the perceptive quality that it enforces on my view of the world allows me to, instead of getting caught up in the minutia of all the day-to-day decisions that our educators need to make, instead causes us to say, you know, what are the outcomes that we want? What are the things we want our students to know and be able to do? And how do we get focused on that? And our sense has been that as school board members across the nation have gotten more focused on the outcomes for students as their only reason for existing, the only reason school systems exist is to improve student outcomes. And the adult inputs are necessary they are secondary and that they only exist in service of causing improvements in student outcomes. And if we're not clear about the why first, all of the different, everybody's opinions about which how is better actually isn't ever going to get us to where we want to be. That as we create the opportunity for board members to become reflective and to, and to go within and really be introspective, to replay their own leadership video and to interrogate it, with a critical eye, and inside of that, begin to adopt this shift in mindset. That, more than anything else that we can bring to the table, more than any of the research and knowledge and skills around effective governance practices, the, the mindset is first. And inside of a shift in mindset to being student outcomes focused, then all of the knowledge and skills that we have to offer around effective governance works. Inside of an adult inputs focused mindset, none of the research, none of the skills, none of the Robert's rules, policies, all these things actually are going to be transformative in the lives of the children we serve. That is such a beautiful thought. And I'm going to be thinking about that and revisiting how you just framed that for a while as I think about it, because there's so much depth in the answer you just provided. And it was displayed nicely and set up not on purpose by us, but it was set up in those previous questions, but it was just done so well on how that mindset's so important. And I just think about that as I've been working on my own doctorate and thinking about so often as we studied education and learning environments, we were exposed very quickly as we looked at different learning environments to, we would go in and we'd try to diagnose a problem and we'd already think we had the answer. <laughs> and we did so often. We, we Start we, with the inputs in mind. We, we did it all the time. We, we did. All the time. We, we did exactly what these school boards did, I'm sure, uh, all the time. And we, we'd quickly think, we'd use our previous experience and think, and then quickly all of our professors would be like, you have to start by diagnosing the true problem. Like, what is the goal that you're trying to determine here? What do you want the students to know? What do you want the students to understand? What's the learning outcome that you're trying to develop here? And then we'd have to, we'd have to back all the way up. And it would usually change 
our process drastically. And so I'm imagining that as you did this, as these school board members would go through this process, they'd have to do some serious reflection and they'd have to challenge their own mindset because many of the things that they'd want to try, just as I learned in this process, they're like, yeah, that's not going to work. If I really want this outcome, my what I'm thinking is not going to work. It's it's going to hit a wall. It's not going to do this. And you know, and I think about servant leadership. If I'm truly thinking about the students that I want to serve and I want to lead and I want to help develop, and as we talked, as we were getting to know each other a little bit, uh, the student, all these children that we serve, they're our future. And if we can't be servant leaders to the children we're developing, then what are we really doing here in the the long term anyway? And so, if I'm thinking about them and I'm if I can't put their outcomes first, then I'm really failing anyway. And so I think too often we get caught in these processes and I forget that you know I have a job to do. And so I forget my true outcome is, just as you said, developing these students and preparing them for something. And I forget and I'm so focused on my goals as a professional and not the actual student's outcome. And I just love the way you framed that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I certainly can identify with that in my own journey as well. You know, as you look at these school boards and the election process, you know, not every single person is going to get elected to a school board. That's just the reality of things, right? I just, they're not big enough. We don't want everybody to, because then we'll probably defeat the purpose of this process. So how would you recommend the average person gets more involved with their communities and helping to establish that common vision or the common set of values, or just to be more involved in their school board processes? Yeah, I think a lot of people wind up on this journey much the same way I did, is that I just get involved as a concerned parent. And so in my case, I was the head of my kid's parent association and was just trying to make sure that my kid and his friends were getting the things that they needed. And I was go to one too many meetings. And next thing you know, uh, you're the head of parent association and then they have a group of all the heads of the parent association. And you go to one the joke I tell is you go to one too many of those and you wind up on the school board. Um, and so <laughs> um, often that's, but that's the case. It's either educators um, very frequently who have given years of their service and now just want to serve in a different way or parents who are just deeply involved. That's where a lot of school board members come from. But there really is no right way to show up on a school board. You, um, it's just as appropriate if you have no children, whether because you've never had children before or your children have all left the house and you retired. It's just as appropriate if you're a business person, you know, a pastor, or, you know, any anything else. Uh, again, uh, one of the key things is that to effectively represent the vision and values of the community, it's helpful to have just as broad diversity of perspectives. So people that come from all different walks of life. And so I would just encourage anyone who feels kind of a calling on their life, you know, the, uh, the sense in their spirit that they're being called to serve in this way, uh, to be open to you know, being a place of discernment around, am I willing to invest uh, the time necessary? Because it is a bit of a time investment. In most states across the country, it's not a paid you know, position. It's, it's truly volunteer leadership. And so um, am I in a place where I can invest uh, that time in my community and uh, being a servant to the children in my area. And, and if that, after some discernment and prayerfulness, if that, that makes sense for you, then I say step into it. 
I love it. Now I have maybe a somewhat of a challenging question. I don't think it'll be challenging for you, but it might be challenging for some of our listeners. Now there's a lot of divisiveness in our country and there's a lot of polarization when it comes to education. And I think a lot of this polarization is very damaging to our student outcomes. And as someone who studies education and has been a lot of time as what my wife likes to call a professional student, I've learned that a lot of this polarization and division is not well-educated. And so a lot of people come to these school board meetings and or they go to their superintendents or their school leadership and they come very ill-educated about different programs and policies or maybe even about the values set up by the school board. And they come, you know, guns a-blazing, hot-headed, but they're not very well informed. And so how, as a servant leader, you know, servant leaders are very focused on community building. We want the voices in our community to be represented. We want diversity because diversity is a gift because it actually brings out the voices in our community. So how do we encourage all the members to come out, but to do so in a healthy way that doesn't create such divisiveness, that doesn't create such angst and anger, and that kind of creates more of a peaceful, true value building in our school boards? I think there's two parts of this. Um, I think the role of board members who are going to represent the vision and values of the community is to be able to listen, but to be able to listen in a more valuable way. So there is a quality of listening that will be that will inspire a sense of divisiveness um, and a quality of listening that we try to train folks on that we think will help people get more at the root of what's really going on for folks. There's a story that I tell in the book about Ms. Johnson. I used to be the vice chair of my neighborhood association. You know, which basically means is whatever the little old ladies in the neighborhood said to do, I'm the guy who had to go do it. And so Miss Johnson calls and says, hey, you know, get, get over here. So, of course, I show up on her uh, front porch. It's that type of neighborhood where you know the older folks would sit out on their front porches and look out and see what's going on in the neighborhood. So I show up on her front porch. Yeah, Miss Johnson, what can I do for you? And she says, well, you know, we need a stop sign. I look and yeah, she's right. There's no stop sign at the corner. But I had recently started trying to learn about a different way of listening, not a listening for what are the kind of divisive issues that sit at the surface of things, but really listening for the values that a community has that are beneath the surface of things. And so uh, the, the coaching that this style of listening gave was when people give you an issue, kind of push on that issue, you know, with, a, with curiosity. And so I said, well, Ms. Johnson, you know, why, why does that matter to you? Why, why is it important to have a stop sign? And of course, she looked at me like I was the dumbest person on the block at that moment. And I said, well, look, just work with me a little bit here. Uh, well, help me understand why that's important to you. And she said, well, well, can't you see these cars? They're going too fast. I said, well, Ms. Ms. Johnson, why does that matter to you? Um, and she just shakes her head. I can tell she's getting a little frustrated. I was like, well, just kind of work with me. Help. I just try to understand. I just want to understand. I said, well, it's a problem because these kids are out here trying to play. I was like, okay, well, wh- why does that matter to you? Well, because it's just not safe. And in that moment, I had pushed on an issue, this idea of I want to stop sign until I got beneath the issue and got clarity about what was the value undergirding the issue. Well, what I suspect is all too often we get focused on issues 
not focused on the values under the issues. So what I did with that is I took, okay, got it. So you want to stop signing the value under that as safety. Okay, well, let me go visit with some you know, the folks at the city planning office and see what they have to say. And so the city planner comes out, you know, Therese meets with me and she looks at the street and says, well, there's a few things we could do here. You know, we could put speed bumps in, we could put a roundabout, um, we could make this a two-way street because cars on a two-way street will go slower than cars on a one-way street. All this kind of urban planning stuff that I don't know because I'm not the city planner. And that's what she's here for. And so she's explaining all these options to me. I go visit with other people on the block and say, hey, you know, do you all have any concerns about safety? It's like, oh, yeah, well, this traffic is going too fast. and I think we should do this. And so then at the end of all things, you know, once all the variables are crushed, uh, Travis goes back to the city and they say, we've got some funds. Don't worry. We're going to make these particular blocks a little bit safer. We'll put in some speed bumps. It'll slow down the traffic. So I go back to Ms. Johnson. Ms. Johnson, this is going to be great. You're going to be so satisfied. I heard your concern about safety and the city has funded. They're going to come in next week and they're going to install some speed bumps. Keith, intelligent man, you probably know where the story's going. Was Miss Johnson happy with her speed bumps? <laughs> probably not. No, she was absolutely <laughs> not happy with her speed bumps. But she was happy that cars were going slower. And the other people on the block were happy the cars were going slower because it was accomplishing this underlying issue of safety. But she was not happy because that is not what she asked for. She didn't ask for a speed bump. She asked for a stop sign. But this reveals a critical distinction in what the actual role of the school board is. The role of the school board is not to provide the issues of community members. It's to represent the values of the community. In that moment, I did what I had been elected as a community uh, neighborhood association officer to do, to represent the values of the people on that block. It is not my job to represent the issues of Ms. Johnson, as influential in the neighborhood as she may be. Representing her specific issues is not my job. Representing what is the value of the community and what are the most optimal way to try to meet the realities of those values that was, in fact, my job. And this is a struggle that a lot of elected officials run into. It's so easy to get caught up trying to please everybody by giving them whatever their stop sign is. We actually lose track of, that's not actually the job. The job is to represent the, one, did I actually go and visit with other folks or did I just take it off from Ms. Johnson's word and just do what Ms. Johnson said because she's Ms. Johnson. She's very influential. Or did I actually go out and listen to other folks on the block? Um, did I actually consider all the variables? You know, the, um, you know resources are at a premium. Uh, how much does a stop sign cost versus speed bump? Yeah, I don't know those things, but clearly the city planner did and felt like this made more sense. And when I visit with other folks, I said, yep, that's reasonable to us. And so the, the process of listening for values rather than listening for issues is a critical first step in the direction of dismantling a, a focus on adult inputs, because the inputs are always about uh, the various issues that people have. Why well, I, I want this thing. I want that thing. You know, I, I want tacos to be on Tuesday instead of Thursday. I, you know, I want a speed bump. I want the paint to be this color. I want the Astro turf on the football field to be you know, exactly that shade of green. These are issues, but these aren't values. And it's not my job as an elected official to represent the issues of the community or the issues of individual community members, no matter how influential they might be. It's my job to represent the values of the community. And for that, I've got to go out and do a whole lot of listening. But if I'm willing to do that listening and willing to push on the issues that I do here to try to understand what are the common values underneath of it that are common among people all across the community, even though it may not be pleasing to some of the community members, in that moment, I'm actually authentically doing my job. And my sense has been when I've been willing to do the work to push past issues to get at values, it's been 
a much more effective strategy at de-escalating a lot of the anger and frustration that lives at people debating over the issues, debating over the adult inputs uh, that seems to be less toxic, less creating of this interpersonal angst and animus when we actually drill into what are the values that you're fighting to protect and how can we come together around a method of protecting those values that can be responsive to the most people in the community. Yeah, that was really great, profound thought. And I think you taught us a valuable skill. I think that even transcends the needs of an elected official. And for servant leaders out there, listening is a vital, vital skill. And for all of the people that work with you, there's a lot of people out there that don't necessarily bring their full selves to your work environments because they don't feel completely welcomed in your work environment. You know, I was reading a wonderful article and I'll share it in the show notes from a well-respected Coast Guard leader, Captain Marcus Kennedy. And he is a phenomenal leader. He's a a Coast Guard captain. So he's a high-ranking Coast Guard officer. He teaches about intrusive leadership and he does so phenomenally. And he was talking about how after, you know, many of these social justice issues arose that he felt isolated in the Coast Guard as an African-American male. And he talked about how he couldn't necessarily bring his full self to the environment. Now we're talking about a very senior Coast Guard officer, you know, was sharing some very personal things in this wonderful article. If there's a senior officer that feels this way, I guarantee you there's junior members of your, our organization, my organization, the Coast Guard for in this example, but this goes to everybody's organization. And now if, if we don't ask the right questions to transcend the issues and talk about values, we're never going to learn about in this case, Captain Kennedy, why he's hurting you know, and he shares some really great context on why these social justice issues matter to him. But if he didn't feel comfortable sharing those things, we don't learn what his true values are. We don't learn why those issues mattered so much to him. You know, we talk about intrusive leadership and while we check in with people on suicide issues when after a big deal, we check in on people after all these issues, but you know, there wasn't the same check-in after these social justice issues. And that that hurt, you know, because it was it mattered to him. It felt like a loss of a family member. And you know, it was, a, it was a profound reading for me to realize the absence of that same check-in and what it meant to him. And I was glad he shared those comments because it was a wake-up call for a lot of us in our organization. But the skill you're talking about, that listening, if we don't hear that lack of commitment from the same people we hear commitment from, if we don't hear them in the same tones that we do, we might miss something. We might not recognize that they're not fully committed to being there at work in the same way they were before. We might miss something. And sometimes we treat people like, oh, they're just they're just being lazy or they're sloughing off. But a lot of times, you know, we've created an organizational setting or an environment where we've hurt the psychological safety of an individual and they may not actually trust the environment right now. And so if we don't listen with the right ears, we might miss something. And so I think what AJ is talking to us about, if we listen a little bit more deeply and go beyond just the issues, especially with what's going on in the world, and if we look beyond polarization of politics and the divisiveness, and we start to actually check in with people with a better listening and ask better questions, we'll start to see if we're actually fully engaging our members in our organizations you know, beyond the level. And in some cases, AJ is absolutely right. We can't handle every single issue in our organization. We have to be able to know what our values are, but we have to own that as well. So we have to be able to communicate to our members, I heard your issue, but these were the way we addressed it according to our values. And I think People can respect and, that. In the and not everybody's way. going to get the stop sign they want. Exactly. You know, you had this wonderful conversation with the lady. She got the results she wanted. She just didn't get it in the way she wanted it. 
Yeah, and I think this is a challenge because I think often is in positions of leadership, we feel like we have to deliver people the stop sign. And it doesn't always sit well to not have been the guy who showed up with the stop. There's a lot of political and emotional celebration that goes along with being the guy who constantly shows up with a stop sign all the time. But that's not actually the role. And I'd go so far as to say it's not actually healthy um, because it's not honoring the full spectrum of interest across the entire community. It, it means that we haven't done the authentic work of getting at what are this community's values and, and how do we honor those. It means that I've traded in my obligation to represent the visions of the community uh, in exchange for the political benefits that I get from honoring the issues of individuals. Yeah, I completely agree. And sometimes we don't take the time to actually recognize what the values are or what the true issues are well enough to actually represent them properly. So we just short sell it to give a stop sign away because that's the easy answer. And I think the the proper thing to do is to take the time you know, in this case, maybe the speed bumps actually slowed down the traffic for more of the neighborhood than one stop sign would have done is one example of how that solution laid out. Like you referenced, there's a lot of things that went into that community planning. There's things, but the more holistic outcome for more members, you know, could have been those speed bumps. There's a lot of different reasons that could have gone into that outcome is why that solution was chosen was over the one person. So I think you know, it's just a beautiful illustration of why you have to take the time to understand exactly what's going on. Yeah, you got to put in the time to do the listening. Um, and it's just, it's a part of the leadership. And if you're not willing to put in the time to do the listening, it's fine, but <laughs> don't sign up to be a community leader. Yeah, I love it. They always try to beat it into our heads that leadership's a privilege. It's not a right. That's right. And that's right. You know, it's a gift that the people we lead they bestow upon us, and yeah, and it's not by their choice either. And so we have to honor that gift by serving them. And that's why I love the principle of servant leadership so much, is because you know people don't always get to choose is their leader, and so we have to give yeah. back them with that representation and acknowledge that because not everyone gets to choose who who they who's put in charge of them, and you know. That's why oftentimes we talk about this difference between managing and leading. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm curious in a school board, when you see it functioning well, do you see the school board rising together in unity or do you see kind of a differentiation between the leadership levels on that school board? You know, actually, I really enjoy a school board that sees things in a bunch of different ways. Um, that gives me a little bit more confidence that the full spectrum of viewpoints across the community are being represented. And so if I see, you know, say seven people on a school board and they agree on every single thing, they're kind of in lockstep on every topic, I actually start to get suspicious that we're not authentically representing the full spectrum of of the values across the community. And so boards, you know, kind of chopping it up and getting in debate and seeing things differently, uh, to me, I I kind of figure that's a healthy thing. But, But the difference is that what a healthy board will do is that once the decision is that people will, they will argue and debate for the perspective that they hold and they feel is representative of the community. But that once the decision is made, folks will be like, all right, well, we're done here. It's time to move on to the next thing. And you know, we're going to get behind this thing. You know, when I was board chair, we had a nine-member board. And there are awful lot of times where there was an eight-to-one vote, and I was the one <laughs> no vote on something. And so the media would run up to me with their cameras and stick their camera on face. Hey, well, you're the board chair. 
um, and they voted against your recommendations. You, know, you were a man of righteousness. You know, uh, you know, isn't this board evil to go against what you recommend? And what they're looking for was you know, me to stand in this false sense of righteousness that they foisted upon me, um, hoping that it would be this ego candy that I would you know, latch onto. But part of the mentoring and training I'd received was that once the vote is taken, uh, that we stand in solidarity, that our best chance for getting the outcome we want for students lies in having a coherent organization where everybody's rowing in the same direction. And if the board just voted eight to one, even if I'm the one, that I don't start rowing in the opposite direction. Like that's not going to help us move the canoe in the direction that we want. I've got to be willing to decide to behave in such a way that once we've made a decision that we're rowing in that direction, I need to put my oar in the water in the same way as everybody else does. And so what happened, they run up to me with the cameras and all this thing. I'd say, hey, I trust the wisdom of this board and this is the decision we've made and this is what we're going to go out and do for students. And I said, well, wait a minute. You voted against us. We, we heard you, you know, argue very aggressively against this course of action. So don't you agree that this is a horrible course of action? I said, I, I trust the wisdom of this board. I believe in democracy. I believe that the nine of us are wiser than the one of us. And so I trust the wisdom of this board. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to go out and get it done for kids. And once you know it, after a few months of hearing that same message over and over, they just stopped showing up at meetings. It's like, well, we're just not going to get the quality of drama that we were hoping for here. But that's what I expect healthy boards to do, is to absolutely debate, debate, debate for the different perspectives that they understand to be representative of the community's vision. But then at the end of all things, they vote. And then wherever that vote goes, nine of us all put our oars in the water and say, okay, well, this is the direction we're rowing. It's time to get going. Yeah, such a wonderful principle of unity, and that's how things get done. And I also just deeply respect the humility you display in just moving forward to support your peers on that board. And just, you know, that is a profound example of servant leadership. I just love it. And, you know, that's leadership by example. And there's no better form of leadership, in my opinion. Just such a great way to move forward. And it'd be easy to create division in that board by saying something like that to the media and just that's not going to help anyone. And just what, what a wonderful example. And that just brings me to the challenge for this episode is AJ talks a lot about mindset. And I think that there's a lot that we could learn from reflecting upon our own mindset and to reflect along the lines of thinking about when a decision is made in our organizations that we don't agree with, how do we react? Do we support the decision or do we stand as a roadblock to that decision. Really think about it. Spend some time reflecting upon it. What do we do in our organizations when a decision is made that we don't agree upon? And think about it. Because if we're a servant leader, we're not going to stand in the way of our organization. We're going to support the members of our teams. We're going to support the members of our organization. We're going to support our families, even if we don't agree with it. Even if it's the wrong decision, completely 100% wrong, Chris Marin talked about this in his, his episode. He talked about how you still support people. You find a way to serve them and nurture them in a right, positive way to help them to see a different way of seeing things. So even if I didn't get my stop sign, I still gotta, I still gotta be supportive. You gotta be supportive. You you get some speed bumps, right? Build a playground, get them off the street. I find it hard to believe, AJ. I think you would have found something else. (laughs) (laughs) Well, AJ, I just love this discussion. Any final thoughts to close us out today? 
No, I'm just grateful for kind of your perspective and kind of the wisdom that you bring. You have a way of framing things, and now you've got me thinking differently about uh, a lot of situations. So I, I just appreciate your shepherding of not only this conversation, but the other conversations with the other guests you've had, and just and keep you know bringing light and wisdom into the world. I, I appreciate what you're doing here. Thanks so much. And all you listening, please like, share, and send the podcast to those that might be edified by this discussion and any of those that have kids out there so they can get more involved in their school boards in whatever capacity they have. That's right. Because we need more people involved in a positive manner in our school boards and in our communities. And thanks for listening to another episode of the All Might Be Edified, discussions on servant leadership and have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm.